So for fund managers, especially institutional funds, uh, returns is something also important to be delivered to the beloved clients, right? Everyone is just looking at, oh yeah, within one year, how much return you can generate and stuff. By generating the kind of returns, of course you need, I mean, you need a uh, 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 higher conviction on the company. And the conviction actually comes from how well you know the business. And, the how, and how well you know the business, actually, one of the process is to know the management also, right? So, and of course, uh, it actually gives you a more of a shorter term, of, uh, the sense of a shorter term movements of the share price in order for you to generate the alpha. But of course, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I won't say that. Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firl.co slash free hey guys welcome back to the podcast best place for long-term stock investors today we have as always a special guest uh if you've heard of uh uh mr ng su han then you'll definitely be interested to know this guest as well because uh he is the cio of trade view capital a good friend of han's uh you can say you know partner in crime <laughs> yeah fair, uh, fair, fair enough right, right. That. So, uh, CIO, <laughs> uh in a former life he was also a fund manager at, at at banks and all that yeah but uh yeah welcome to the podcast thanks for having me is this the first time you're doing like a podcast or or this um, sort of interview style yeah yeah i can say so yeah. uh, but this is more of a casual setup yeah yeah yeah, yeah. usually it'll be more professional like you know, on the stage kind so oh, yeah so, so it's totally fine then we're, we're not uh, yeah but they have no pillows we have pillows right <laughs> uh yeah so i i think i think everybody wants to know including myself actually um we like to get a sense of uh you know where you came from and mm. how did you get into the fund management industry was it something that you always wanted to do when you were young or that mm. came a lot later mm, okay um in short to the um, to the question is no i mean it, it came later yeah yeah uh, so uh I graduated from Australia uh, under this uh, accounting and finance okay. uh, degree. Then um, once I come back, uh, the only aim I was going uh, uh, to go for is actually to look for a job in a bank, right? Mm. Obviously, investment mm. bank. So then uh, the, my first job was uh, in one of the back office uh, in a global bank, uh, HSBC. Okay. Yeah. So I started uh, there about. Uh, I started there and then I, I I stayed there for about a year, um, mainly in charge of settlements uh, for fixed income and also equity related okay. securities, particularly for Hong Kong market lah. So uh, that's why I I got this opportunity to actually been seconded to Hong Kong for about two and a half months. Okay, yeah, okay. Just trying to learn their stuff. Then uh, they are actually going through the migration phase lah, uh, bringing the the process from Hong Kong back to Malaysia is more of their. Uh, cost-cutting measure so I, I, I would say yeah so uh, up there about one year later I decided to say um, no this is not what I'm 
actually looking for, but it's more on going to the uh, front office, right? Uh, doing more investment related stuff. I that see. is when I uh, decided to move on and look for opportunities in the front office, which particularly ended myself up in corporate finance. Ah. Yeah. So, uh, and I consider that as part of, uh, or, or, or the start of my journey in the uh, capital market. Yeah. The back office, yes, it was uh, part of the equity market, but it wasn't really the uh, frontliners. So yeah. what, what sort of deals were you doing? I mean, what, were you doing deals uh, during your corporate no, finance I was, days? I was just in charge of basically as okay. an executive. Yeah. So I was helping out the team. Uh, the team that I was into, uh, basically in charge of M&A, okay. and acquisitions. So um, it actually involved a lot more on like, say, takeover deals, generally like, I mean, gen general offer, sorry, yeah, general offer, uh, and then uh, some like rights issues. And then uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't actually, did I? Yeah, I, I, I didn't take care of uh, IPOs. Okay. Yeah, but mainly on takeovers like, for that, that time that that was around 2012 when market was still quite um active yeah so there are a lot of takeover deals uh, here and there yeah. what, what what was like your big learning lessons in that period i think that's an experience that most people won't have right like yeah. you know dealing with all these corporate exercises things like that well, i consider myself not so detailed person per se uh, at the beginning so the challenge was Ooh. that to actually walk through the all the all the requirements the in the guidelines. Yeah. yeah. So uh, as you as you are aware, also that uh, um, corporate finance, we we got to take some of the uh, tests or exams under SC. Yes. But yes, give yes. Uh, corporate. I mean, give advice uh, corporate uh, corporate advisory uh, role. So um, um, to actually be better in that role, we got to know in and out of certain guidelines that applicable to say deals that we are we are preparing for clients huh? so we can we give advice you know what which, which line or which rules is not or is uh, uh, allowing you to do certain things and so right. yeah so to structure uh, uh corporate deals with the clients huh? i mean we can we, we are freely uh giving advice in terms of what sort of you know uh, fundraising routes that you you can go to and then uh, advise the clients on the options and give them the the the, the most effective or efficient way like, on, right. on on uh, raising funds. Yeah. Is it as high stress as I think most people think? Because you know all this corporate finance or investment banking stuff, it's like long hours. That was my 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 first thought when I when I when I uh, had the interview with with the management for the corporate finance division. Uh, yeah, corporate and finance. And this was so still in HSBC, right? No, no, no. That one is uh, M Bank already. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it is a go uh, gorgeous, uh, what do you call that? Uh, the gla glamorous, glamorous, yep. uh, glamorous uh, uh, division of investment bank because basically you deal with all the listed issues, uh, listed companies' uh, issues. And uh, of course, uh, uh, in people's mind is that uh, yeah, we, are, we are like higher level than you know, normal auditors or, or other account professionals. But in fact, when you are starting from a low levels uh, executive, basically what you are in charge are, are more towards uh, drafting prospectuses, drafting documents. The coolie, know. the coolie work. <laughs> so uh, long hours, long hours. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so, uh, so especially that year when, when I went through uh, two to three general offers deals. So, uh, yeah, this is like a takeover, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So timeline can be very, very short and uh, we are required to work over weekends kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. So it's the, the one of the challenges would be the long hours, long working hours. Yeah. yeah. Then another one would be to learn all the guidelines and make sure we don't miss out any single rules or, or restrictions yeah. that the clients cannot carry out certain things. But at the same time, also making sure that you can get the best deal, right? That yeah. you can, uh, you know. All right. Right. All right. So then... Uh, uh, not just that, but traveling is another thing because uh, ah. when you handle uh, things for clients and you have to deal with all your, uh, they call it due diligence working group. So you basically uh, deal with parties like lawyers, accountants, and then sometimes it involves valuers, you know, then you have to travel uh, to either sites or to the client's office. And then you always have this uh, meeting called verification meeting, meaning mm. you drafted something, then everyone verify information in the documents. And that's when everyone gathers together and uh, uh, walks through things. Is, is this something like, oh, so-and-so claim that they have a factory in Vietnam. So you go to the factory in Vietnam. As much as you want to go overseas, but of course, they will actually send uh, all the valuers report for us to have a look. Oh, and okay, yeah, before okay. we really travel there. Unless necessary, if, if value of the certain assets yeah. involve a significant size of the company, then you know, no choice because we really go there and have a look and really make yeah. sure that things are really in place and things are really, you know, uh, real. Uh, yeah. Do, I mean, do you think now with, you know, uh, you know, video technology and all that, that traveling there is not necessary anymore? Like if you want to check the inventories, let's say, mm, mm. and show a video. You mm. think that's, that works or it, it's still pretty traditional where they have to go back and check everything my personal point of view is that you got to go to the traditional way of doing things like right. the virtual site some so i mean especially given uh the uh, uh higher standard of our regulators who yeah. wanted something more i mean they are more of the prudent side and also conservative side they will make sure that things must be all in place you know right, it right. must be really like uh taking photos and stuff so to make sure that things are really real you know but virtual wise can be Sometimes I, I I wouldn't say the virtual is not effective. In right. fact, it's time effective, but it it it, it also has their uh, flaws. You know, mm. uh, sometimes videos uh, I don't know how trustworthy they are. You know, but maybe things are just maybe maybe you know, FaceTime. Uh. <laughs> FaceTime right? Yeah. Side. So I think my personal point of view is that uh, they will still go through the traditional right. way of doing things. Uh. Yeah. So throughout the corporate finance environment, I got to know like how listed shares or listed issuers uh, dealing with things or transactions. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. That it's when, to answer the first question is that that is when I I kind of be more involved in listed companies and it, when they talk about share prices and then it's like when I started looking into more of the stock investment side. I see. Yeah, because previously before before entering into the job market, what I what I was exposed is basically more on those plain vanilla products, you know, like every uh, every every one of us will be aware, like say unit trust, F uh, currencies, you know, or even real assets like property markets, you know, and F D, you know, uh, because last time, uh, uh, just to uh, sidetrack a little bit, uh, family wise, uh, they had their own time in stock market investment, but of course, uh, ninety seven crisis was somewhat. Uh, scarred them. Then they so, swore it off. Right? They so yeah, in a right, way, yeah. uh, that was somewhere, uh, I mean, at th uh, that time during the crisis, I was at the one. So uh, uh, basically, I didn't really hear a lot about stock investments from mm. the family point of view. Yeah, so, so uh, involvement on that 
front also a bit uh, lesser until then when I started my college or uni time, then I only have this kind of knowledge and when when really coming to the job market, then it's when the real life example come into place. La. Right. Yeah, that's how I got into more of a stock investment side. La. So obviously, you know, with corporate finance, uh, it's very it, it, similar transferable skill set, but it's more directed to, you know, finding the best uh, deal Deals. for the firm. Yeah. But did you transition into uh, fund management or equity investing or, or whatever word uh, right after? Yeah, great point. Uh, from corporate finance after about one and a half to two years, mm. then there was an opportunity in uh, the same bank, private the private banking division. So there was this uh, role, analyst role that uh -huh. was open. So I, I I gave it a try. So I talked to my bosses, you know, I said I would want, would want to go ahead and uh, try that position out. Then I did, uh, yeah, actually I went through the internal process uh, to, mm. to private banking. In the same, uh, in in the same bank banking la. group. Yeah. Right. So that is when I started looking into, not stock yet, but I was a portfolio analyst, meaning ah. I actually analyzed Unitrust. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. okay. So, so it's a different kind of uh, uh, analytical matrices that we use for portfolio analysis. Yeah. Uh, what what uh what what's different? Uh, well, when you look at portfolio, that's when you study number of stocks within the portfolio, and you actually come up with ratios like uh, sharp ratio, ah, uh, yes. expense ratio of the uh, portfolio, and then you interview fund managers, right? And uh, 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 to understand what's the investment philosophy or the way of them investing, and then uh, also we look into uh, tracking errors, you know, also all that sort of uh, uh, the, the rather than calculations, stock. not too accurate things like that, lah. Is it? Yeah, it's not really that accurate because we're only relying on available information yeah. on the public side. Yeah, yeah unless uh, unless the fund managers share more about the yeah. holdings and stuff, but which typically they they do not. So right. uh, we can only rely on historical data and hope and, and make an assumption like say they hold these stocks for a longer period of time, more than two, three months kind of thing, then we have the full list. Yeah. So it, it, it sounds like, it sounds like auditing, but for internal, it's an internal audit for funds. In a way, because private banking side, we have clients, yeah, yes, individuals, yes. and they are also interested in buying unit trust. But the thing is, which one? So yeah. they will ask. Then we come up with all these ratio analysis just to make sure that there is some some sort of comparison made on on which portfolio which is the preferred one than the other, and uh, and uh, you know to recommend to them. But I mean that doesn't quite sound like what you wanted, right? You maybe yeah. wanted something more agree investing. So that how about that transition? Okay, so uh, of course, private banking division, uh, besides this portfolio analyst role, there is also equity analyst and fixed income analyst and also alternative asset analyst. So uh, those were filled last time. So there were some other people looking at different kind of products where, uh, which I was then only uh, yep. looking into unit trust. So the transition happened, it's when, okay, uh, um, after a year later, I was like talking to the boss. I said, well, uh, is that uh, an opportunity internally that allows me to, to you know, explore the stock investment side or stock analyst side? Then uh, uh, at that moment in time, because it was, I think, 2013, you know, that's when the Bernanke uh, crisis came about. So the tapering. 2013. Yeah, the tapering, okay. yeah. 
So uh, well, market was very volatile and stuff. So they, they, it wasn't a, a chance to for the company to grow at a faster pace, lah. That's why. But the thing is, uh, that one that during that time, then I had an uh, an opportunity, lah. Basically, uh, someone referred me to uh, uh, public mutual. Ah, okay. Yeah. Then uh, I gave it a try also. So uh, uh, I mean. In short, I actually went over right. to Public Mutual, and that's when I started uh, my role as equity analyst there. So I, I have to ask this question now. Now that you mentioned Public Mutual, yeah, were you involved in like public small cap and the guys there, or that's different? Because um, public small cap is one of the best performing mm-hmm. funds, right, in Malaysia. I it's believe. a it's a it's a really big team in Public Mutual, and they have duty segregation inside the team. So uh, when I joined that time, they were basically having two big team, fund management and the research team. I will just put it this way. And uh, whether am I involved in the small cap? I don't think I am because I was in the foreign research ah, side. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Whereas the small cap one is more Malaysian uh, centric. So I wasn't in the Malaysian team. Yeah, and, and, and I'm talking about just research team, but they right. have also fund management team looking uh, into straightly, I mean, uh, straight into the uh, stock investments. Like, as the research is more on producing uh, research reports, recommendations for the consideration of our farm managers. Uh, right. During that time, yeah. So I was more on the foreign market side. I uh, started with Korea, mm. and then uh, move on to Hong Kong, China, and then a little bit into uh, Taiwan. Yeah. But of course, that is uh, uh the major one would be Korea and Hong Kong, Taiwan. How 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 is that like? Because I I seldom actually come across people with a background such as yours, whereby you know they're looking at the East Asian players, right? Mm. Taiwan, mm. you're saying Hong Kong and Korea. Mm. Well, what what was that like in those days? And and of course, it's also a new experience for you, right? At that point in time, definitely. Um, I would say it's a very good uh training uh that I had in mutual whereby um, a lot of uh, fundamental analysis, mm. uh, long-term ones, uh, especially focusing on uh, the quality of companies. I'm I talking see. about numerical, uh, that sort. It's not just interviewing management and, and get their insight, but rather we look into, say, fundamental of the company, like see how strong is the balance sheet, you know, cash right. flow, is it manageable? And then when it comes about driving business expansion, what right. sort of uh, uh, cash needed or capital required right. and that sort of thing. So it, it, it actually takes a while to, to make a, a recommendation simply because we have to go through steps like um, uh, analyzing the stock based on SWOT analysis. Right. And you also come up with your financial analysis. And then uh, also you got to... Um, uh, analyze the uh, top-down manner in terms of the industry or sector, of course. you know, within within uh, that the stock it operates into. So I think it's a yeah a very good training process for me last time. And typically they they actually take about um, two to three weeks to actually come up with a stock recommendation, and that is for long-term holding. It's not so much on. Because you know, this is buy side, this is yeah. buy side stuff, right? Correct, correct. I, 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 I've been in the buy side, yeah. so yeah. Um, so yes, uh, uh, the philosophy is really different, especially yeah. for bigger house like uh, public mutual, because uh, stocks that we invested into are basically more for uh, and a horizon of talking about three to five years, right? Yeah, unless 
there's other concern like liquidity right. concern or small cap, you know. So walk, walk me through, let's say you, um, you want to generate an idea. Now, now this is getting into, we, we'll get to uh, trade view and uh, of course, Kalanga yeah. later on, right? But now that you're talking about this, I want to get a sense of back then in public mutual, because I think a lot of people also want to know wh- what the grind is like. Mm. So you would want, you, you, you have to prepare a presentation, I assume for your superiors. Reports, I wouldn't say so much on PowerPoint, but okay. normal words, okay. yeah. And so I, I'll ask a question like that. Mm. What needs to be in your report or how you should, should you write your report in a way that they would accept your, your report very <laughs> okay. quickly? Uh, okay, la, the acceptance comes from whether- Whether okay, they like firstly, you. <laughs> firstly, like, okay, now, now if I'm a farm manager, right? Yeah, so yeah. when I see a report, definitely I'll look at how much upside is there yeah, in terms okay, of target okay. prices, you know? But target prices can be subjective because it's all about your valuation and your earnings assumption and things like that. But it's just more like, what captures your attention is that, oh, uh, what's your recommendation? And your recommendation comes with well, how, how, how much upside it actually shows that your conviction on the stock, right? So uh, other than that, I think uh, uh, reports in in uh, big house like Public yeah, Mutual, right? It, it tends to be similar to what's outside reports that you you are seeing outside yeah basically it involves a lot of angle on arguing your points uh, within the report so what to be included in the reports like i mentioned uh sort analysis about mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. company you know what is the strength and weaknesses of a company then after that you look into the macro environment side what is the opportunity and threat and then also sometimes you also do consider power five forces ah. so we actually do look at their suppliers and consumer i mean the, the customers right then we also uh that that is actually a a, a, a a baseline to determine how 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 you actually come up with your revenue assumption or your earnings assumption. You know what sort of why why there is a cost uh, savings element inside. Uh, that you really come back to all this uh, basic. And that's the, that's the quantitative aspect of things that you were talking about. Yeah, uh, more on now. okay. Sort is more on. Yeah, these these two are actually more. It's actually a marriage, lah, right? Between yeah. these two. Correct. So once it, it's all done, then it actually goes to the uh, the numbers straight away. Like okay, what sort of assumption you put into top line, and your bottom line. And why it's actually justified by all these points. Right. Yeah. So this is uh, just part of it. Then after that, you also have your risk and capitalist analysis. Like, oh yeah, not so much after that. Let's just point out what is the growth driver going forward. Like what what what, what sort of things that you look at yeah. uh that, that moves share price, you know? Yeah. And uh why do you recommend it now? And it is uh, and then, then you actually come up with your valuation and recommendation. Uh, maybe because valuation is low, or is uh-huh. it uh, on peer analysis, you actually compare with other uh, companies within the seven sector, and then you come up with sort, some sort of comparison. Okay. Then, then that actually more leads to the uh, recommendation already. But of course, that time we also uh, we also involve a lot of ratio analysis. Basically, you look into their uh, quick ratio, current as uh, current ratio, and then all the debt ratio. You know, then to justify whether whether it actually uh, leads you to a, a, a more holistic right recommendation. So uh, I want to talk a little bit now before I move on uh, on your experiences with Korea, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. Yeah. So obviously, I think most Malaysians don't know, mm. uh, including myself, don't know much about these markets. Taiwan maybe a little bit more because a lot of our companies are linked to Taiwanese companies. Mm-hmm. We have Taiwanese actually. companies here also. Yeah. So what were some of the interesting discoveries you made when looking to these three markets? Mm. Okay, let's start with Korea. 
Mm, right? mm. Korea is actually pretty much a retail driven market. Interesting. Uh, yeah, participation of retail market generally you are looking at sixty to seventy percent. Whoa! Right. So a lot more on news flow driven investment. So basically, the investment in Korea cannot be too long. Really? Yeah. 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 Either looking at six to nine months horizon, or sometimes if we are short, it's just two quarter, uh, two quarters or less. Wow. Right. Because uh, it's all about thematic driven uh, story news flow uh, in Korea market because it's retail retail market. Yeah, so uh, 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 generally, like, you know, uh, after two weeks, then they will have a new team. Like, say, okay, now everyone is looking into, say, EV team. Or now everyone is looking into, say, uh, consumer uh, cosmetic team. You know, the, you know that that, that, that sort of uh, changes in terms of news flow that will actually affect share prices movements. Yeah, so foreign, uh, foreign investors tend to look at just the bigger names uh, in Korea. So, like, Samsung, LG... Yeah. Today, uh, all those that is well followed by the uh, chebos, uh. yeah, the chebos, correct. Uh, that is Korea. Then uh, that's why sometimes when you look at valuation of Korean market is generally low because there's some there's a high discount being uh, imposed on stock valuation because of the makeup of the market, lah. Yeah, right, the makeup of the market, and then also the the shareholding structure of all the tables because they have all across shareholdings so yeah. basically you are looking at one team like say or Samsung will be benefited by uh, uh mobile mobile sale but of course they also hold other stuff so that generally it will be diluted somehow you know in terms of earnings and things like that so there are some discount in terms of stock also and, and, and governance uh, also is it fair for me to say because it's more retail that the volatility will be a lot higher yep yep right yeah you can uh, you can you can conclude that for Korea. And uh, of course, uh, uh, there are also a lot of uh, governance issues in, in Korea market. So off and on, you will hear like uh, uh, companies labor go on strike. Ah. Then on and off, you will, you will hear like uh, this company buying into something unrelated to the business. Uh-huh. Uh, then uh, so on and off, you will, you, will, you, will, you will hear like product has fall, uh, faulty you know, right. uh, or some security issue. Uh, all this. So with Typically, you see the, all these elements in Korean dramas, <laughs> which is which is actually <laughs> happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, but then you know, you know, the reporting and all that. Like, did you have to learn some uh, Korean? Uh, some no, Hangul? I mean, <laughs> all, all the all the management meetings comes with a translator for foreign investors. Uh, yeah, unless the uh, the IR. Like, like say Samsung, they don't need because uh, the IA is itself. Uh, I mean, himself no 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 English. Okay. Other than that, smaller companies they will have a translator all the all the time. So all you were you were traveling there quite a lot uh, to Korea. Yeah yeah uh yeah last time about maybe two to three times a year. Yeah. I, I mean it was uh, ba- mainly attending the conferences, but uh once or twice will be just organized uh on our own yeah. Right right. Mm. So that is more. Right. So that China. so that's Korea. So yeah. how about the other two? Hong, Hong Kong, Kong China, Kong, China side. Uh, actually, the market started to open back in. Uh, I would say, slightly before two thousand lah, year two thousand. So that's why during the time when I started looking into that market, it's actually more of a growing stage. Yeah. Mm. So a lot more uh investment opportunities. Yeah. That's why, uh uh. More vibrant, I would say, okay. in terms of uh, even com- coming up with number of uh, stock ideas in China. But one thing about China is that uh, it's uh, it could be a lot more political because uh, a lot of the companies are still uh, considered sovereign companies, sovereign-owned companies. So the government that's has so easy, right? Yeah, 
factors are uh, that the, the 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 companies are I mean are influenced by decision of the government. So and then uh, another thing about China is the regulatory risk. Yeah, because as I said, SOEs and not just SOEs, but uh, generally speaking, the government will come out with a lot of new policies. You know, trying to achieve their own agenda. Yeah. So like. I mean, the latest uh, uh, agenda would be common prosperity. So basically, uh, government will impose things on companies that grow too fast. You know, just want to make sure that everyone enjoys it. So you cannot be outgrown uh, over another. That kind, right. of, that kind of reasoning behind. So that's why Hong Kong, China, uh, we got to really understand the history of China, which I personally do not uh, claim that myself <laughs> to know a lot about China history. but. But by knowing China history, it helps you a lot in terms of analyzing their behavior uh, on 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 companies, and that's when it helps on stock investment in China. So I would say China. So Hong Kong, China. Okay, China is China is just local China, but Hong Kong side has more international exposure of. Uh, I mean, for companies who is listed in Hong Kong, so of that's course. why that's why uh, uh, generally we will we will be more interested in the companies or china companies listed in hong kong market because that's when you have higher foreign participation yeah, higher enough. following and then uh more transparency and also accuracy in terms of numbers yeah and so uh yeah i think last one is taiwan right i, I know taiwan is a dividend haven right a lot yeah of yeah, yeah they have their own dividend culture dividend paying culture uh i think it's also one of the requirements set by the the securities council there uh, but the thing is, uh, something interesting about Taiwan is that each single segment in the supply chain of technology will have a listed company. <laughs> yeah, that is something that is not is unique for Taiwan. Like say, uh, PCB board, you have uh, uh, someone in charge of that and, and it's listed. And then uh, the material of the PCB board will be there also well. will be listed there. So each each uh, chain has their own leaders, you know, uh, when it comes to- This whole ecosystem Taiwan. there, actually. Correct, correct. So a lot more niche market uh, for Taiwan, but at least uh, it gives you certain um, exposure in terms of, I mean, not just particularly concentrating into just like one that represents everyone, but at least you have some diversification in terms of number of stocks in Taiwan that you can hold within a chain, know. you know. So not necessarily you must hold just uh, TSMC because it represents everyone. But within the chain itself, you can hold like other other companies, smaller ones, and that diversify risk a little bit. But at the same time, yeah. the growth profile also different. That can gives you a different kind of alpha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a really dif uh, different and interesting market. I want. Okay. Yeah. So moving on now from your experience in public mutual, mm. um, was it Kenanga next straight away or? Oh, then I returned back to the same division I had in M Bank. Corporate that finance. When, huh. No, no, no. Uh, private banking. Private banking. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So that's when uh, uh, my ex boss was telling me that oh, now there is an opportunity here in the stock division, and uh, uh, there's a portfolio for you. So uh, basically, discretionary portfolio where you uh, you you you're in charge of uh, managing clients' money in the uh, by investing into stocks. So I was like, okay, then I gave it a try. So I returned back to MBank for that role. Okay. And I stayed on there for about two years lah, before I move on to Kananga. Yeah. And when you were at uh, MBank, you could, uh, in those two years, you could actually, uh, what's the word? You could, uh, what was your mandate? Was there a mandate? Oh, 
Power banking side mandate is uh, Asia, Asia mandate, Asia X Japan mandate. Yeah, total return, absolute return fund lah. It's not relative. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So as long as uh, there's, uh, it's pretty similar to what I have now in uh, Trade Capital. Right, right. Where all the uh, discretionary mandate will have a certain hurdle rate. Yeah, and uh, you will you will have to achieve higher than that to enjoy uh, some sort performance of sharing fee, on yeah. performance fee. Yeah, right. Yeah. That is based, uh, typical structure of a discretionary okay. portfolio. And uh, mostly it's uh, for high net worth individuals uh, or even corporates. Uh, to and extent. I mean, it sounds like uh, was a pretty good deal, right, at MBank, but yet you decided to move into to Kananga. Oh, it was just natural because uh, that's when I, another, another one who actually approached me to uh, join Kananga because there was this opportunity there and and uh, M, I mean private banking last time wasn't I mean wasn't too bad I mean of course uh, but it's just that the company has been on the restructuring mode as a whole group banking group I mean if you if you if you talk about M Bank that's when people relate to uh, uh, compliance risk yeah so a lot more scrutiny on on things that we do right. and uh, may not be too beneficial to business. That's why maybe the growth wise in terms of client uh, incoming funds is not as great. Yeah, so that's why uh, an opportunity comes from Kananga where I think that, you know, that actually can drive me higher in terms of right. uh, uh, personal uh, uh, management on the as, uh, the size of AUM. I see. Yeah, AUM and asset under management. Yeah, that gives, gives me a better profile there. So that's why then I move on. So, like at Kananga, was it the same mandate as well? Uh, Asia. Kananga is uh, as a whole. Kananga is more of a, a, a Malaysian centric fund house. Yeah. So, uh, but I I joined Kananga as a foreign analyst to begin with. Uh, of course, slowly then I got assigned with some portfolios which are mostly also Malaysian focused. Right. That's why that is when I am more focused on the Malaysian market. Right. And yeah. so do you remember what it was like when you when you transitioned from foreign to Malaysian? Like I think it's a different different skill set in terms of uh analyzing really? companies locally versus foreign. Okay, the difference is that because we are not on the ground. So we rely a lot on sell side uh brokers uh when it comes to foreign companies. Okay. Yeah, so we didn't we, we don't get to see the management uh directly. All the time, it will just be conferences or, or even whoever who follows the company closely, which is the broker. So we actually rely more on conversation, our conversation with the the, the analyst who covers the stock, or sometimes we just are able to talk with the management when there is certain meetings that we organize with the foreign companies. But whereas in Malaysia, um, it's a more of it's a more defensive market, I would say, because defensive being uh uh majority not majority okay a larger pool of the shares or volume has been held by our uh glcs yes right so uh liquidity wise is lower right and then uh retail participation at one point was also low right so then without retail participation then the trading volume also tends to be lower and it's all like controlled not to say control, but it's more like held on by institutional funds. And when you when you when you uh, um, analyze Malaysian companies, right? Firstly, of course, typical skill. I mean, on 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 analysis is there. You know, like following 
how you analyze foreign companies. But of course, you we, we got to also uh, pay attention to who are the shareholders. You know, uh, different different shareholder profile will have different sort of uh, um, I wouldn't say movements, but it's more like uh, following the plan on the stocks, lah. Yeah. So if it's like a larger larger company with higher foreign shareholding, then sometimes uh, the, fo- the 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 question being asked by the investors on the company is a lot different from a family-owned company. You know. Mm. Yeah. So uh, like giving it as an example is that if you are operating, I mean, if you are looking into a family-owned company, then the first question you will ask like, um, uh, what are what is your plan for for the next three years on driving your business? Right? Is there like uh, 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 any 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 um, reason for you to raise capital and that sort? That leads to another question of whether there's a capital, uh, I mean, fundraising uh, exercise. Whereas if you are looking into a large cap company, then the uh, the more is that you are asking whether is it like is there a dividend policy, uh, ah. or and then uh, would there be I mean uh, is there is there a movement on foreign shareholding trend? Is it like coming down and why? And uh, is there something that people are seeing that we are not seeing, you know, that, that sort of thing. It's more of a herd uh, mm. uh, mentality rather than just uh, focusing on the store itself. So I, I, there's one of the example, but there's still a lot of aspects that we look at. Yeah. yeah. And then also that uh, uh, since we are on the ground, so technically it gives us an upper hand than foreign investors when it comes to Malaysian market. Yeah. So that, uh, that differentiate myself uh, back in the days when looking into foreign companies versus now I am a lot more closer to the companies under my coverage that at least I can actually straight away um, uh, give give the IR or, or the management a call and to set up a meeting you know to find out about things you know uh, just like that rather than I have to wait for analysts to do the job you know right yeah so I think the information access can be f- quicker for 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 whoever uh, on the ground. So I would say that it's, it, it could be the same in Korea market. If I am in, I, I was in Korea. So basically the 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 anal- yep. analysis would be the same, like how we see Malaysian market right now. So I think that is the dif- uh, one of the differences. Another thing is that um, it also, um, I mean, the, the, the market capitalization of Malaysian market tends to be smaller, a lot smaller than foreign. So uh, foreign shareholding also not as high. So that's why, uh, that actually translate into lower trading volume for Malaysian market as a whole. So that's why sometimes we got to also ask the the essential questions on how I mean, can we hold the stock for for long a uh, long term basis? Is it like for the next three years? If there's any issue or not, that sort of things we would we, we should ask all these questions. Even though I mean, for all the markets that we cover, but the thing is, particularly in Malaysia, it's more like uh, 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 whether we can build position in, in certain companies yeah. and it would that worth our time looking into that is really uh, a lot more to do with management plan already yeah right correct so um i i before i go on to trade view i want to get a sense now because you've gone through many many different ex- experiences and you know what maybe let's go straight to to trade view right um hmm. So this was set up, I think, in April, right? You all got your fun. Uh, we got license. our license uh, on the thirty first of March, end right. of March, yeah. Right. And we started operating in April, yeah. Right. And then, uh, yeah, then we have we have been setting up the company by, I mean, for about two months just to get everything up and ready, right. yeah, to collect funds from clients, yeah. So what is the what is the overall strategy for like TradeView? How do you 
guys, because now you're obviously in a different position from when you were mm. uh, last time, either you're an analyst or at the highest you could go as a portfolio manager. Mm. Now you're the CIO. And so what is the investment process like for, for Trivia? How do you find ideas? How do you manage risk, things like that? And working also with other, mm. you know, working mm. with, uh, with Han, CEO, working with other analysts and portfolio managers as well. Sure. I think uh, it wouldn't run so far from uh, the way we mm -hmm. uh, normal, I mean, uh, the usual fund management company is running their business. So, uh, but of course, a smaller setup like ourselves, uh, it gives us the flexibility on implementing certain investment strategy. And especially given the, the asset under management right, right now is not uh, big yet. So it actually gives us an upper hand in terms of uh, how we decide on uh, our investment or what sort of stocks that we can invest. Right. Yeah. So uh, main focus for now uh, of ours would mainly still focusing on small make, uh, small cap to sometimes you can call it micro cap companies. You know, some that it's out of uh, the radar of uh, institutional, uh, big institu institutional fund yeah, because of liquidity concern. So that's why some companies like they are good companies, but it's just that uh, they are too small. Either they are too small or just that they have been uh, uh, lacking of attention from the investors. That's why they are also not paying attention too much on how the the capital market, you know, price their company. So the way our approach to these these companies is that we will actually try to. Uh, understand where they are coming from first in terms of running their business. If there is some sort of potential or even, you know, the cash that you're holding. I mean, of course, companies that we select are pretty uh, uh, healthy in nature, like especially with some companies that has high cash holding, but right? just that they are not doing anything with the, high, uh, the cash. So um, then we, we got to further understand these companies. Are they having any plan uh, going forward? If they have not, uh, would they consider um, any inorganic growth, any merger or any opportunities going forward? If they are also not doing, then they are. So we will ask the question like, so would you return cash to your shareholders? That sort of things, yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, it, I think the process in terms of evaluating a stock is pretty much similar, or uh, in fact, the same. Uh, it's just that the targeted companies that we are we are looking into is just different from what other big houses are looking into la. right yeah, yeah so that tells one of the differences la. but in first in, in terms of uh running the business uh together with uh, a great team and han and also two fund managers of mine then uh, uh it, it gives us a lot more flexibility in terms of how we decide on uh investment flexibility in terms of timing of execution. Yeah, because uh, a bigger house, you may need to go through certain investment process that takes time to develop because of, uh, because I mean, for, for the good reason, it's actually the due diligence process that you yeah. you 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 you, uh, you go through just to make sure that you have uh, uh, ended up in a good investment. But also it's the same, but it's just that in our house, we get to implement things faster. Yeah, because of a smaller team, we can just sit down straight away after I write a, I, I've written a report. Then let, let's let's gather for the next fifteen minutes. We talk about this, and if everyone agree and there's no uh, disagreement, then we, okay, we just uh, uh, include that into uh, investable universe. Then we can start executing the trade. And that, that and that is a it's a consensus model, right? Remember, it's a consensus model. So right. uh, everyone of us has to discuss on the stock uh, recommended by each of us. 
Uh, then after that, uh, uh, we will have a, a sort of healthy discussion. Like if there's any disagreement on, on, on yeah. certain points, then we'll bring up. At least uh, 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 there's no hard, hard feeling. You just have to throw yeah. it out and say, if I don't agree, why? Then if I agree and continue, then how much weight we, we, we increase yeah, yeah, on yeah. certain stocks? Then everyone agrees, then okay, then let, let's right. execute it. Yeah. So what are the filters uh, that you all typically have where you talk about the investable universe, right? Mm. So that implies that there's a there's like a ring fence, right? So mm. what gets in or what goes out? What, what cannot get in? Um, technically, okay. Uh, it comes back to the discussion point. So, if everyone agrees to 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 put it in, right? But how do we come up with the agreement? Basically, we we evaluating uh uh points like whether we start from the balance sheet first, of course. It's really? about, okay. Uh, whether this company has uh uh balance sheet issue or not? Is a uh, gearing high or is it having a lot of cash? Or is there any um, um, contingent liabilities issues or or what good view you know the sort? But it's just a glance. But other than that, we also cross check on the cash flow side. Do we do we see the 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 healthy cash flow generate generation from the company? And if there's no and if there's a negative free cash flow, why is it higher capex or is it because a negative operating cash flow due to uh, declining earnings profile or or what? So we will actually bring all these points before we look into the PNL. Uh, PNL is more like the share price driver, so it's like oh, okay, now we actually get the income statements and what drives top line, what drives bottom line, and and what sort of theme is that? Does it does it fix into? I mean, fit into any any single theme you know at the moment. Like for example, at the moment, or oh, everyone is talking about reopening play, you know. Then uh, after we analyze on a bottom up basis, does it company fall into any of the active team right now in the in the in the company, or that actually determines whether the timing of execution would it be now or later, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, if there's any of this uh, during the process where there's some disagreement, let's say, oh, I don't think the the uh, the balance sheet is healthy because oh there may be some some other points that I missed out. Or mm. maybe my uh, other fund managers, they actually uh, have been covering certain sector or even has better knowledge in 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 that that company. Then they will voice out, "I no, I disagree because what the receivable is high, or because what they are they uh, I uh, they may have uh, other additional knowledge in terms of maybe they are executing plans that we are not aware, you know. Then then uh, there could be a potential that they actually misuse their cash. Or oh, these are other example." Right to to at least prevent the the inclusion or to at least highlight it as a risk before we include it in the universe. And when we include in the universe, also based on the timing of execution. If let's say we do not uh, uh, plan to actually buy the stock or sell the stock, right? So um, we will actually hold it back and say, okay, why not we keep in view and so watch list, uh. Yeah. And then uh, we come to revisit once uh, uh, things are more actionable. Then that will be more of uh, uh, if, um, a non-inclusion uh, for that for that timing. Right. Yeah. Right. So that is more for the inclusion. And basically, the universe is actually more of a formality and also a requirement that uh, is set by uh, uh, SE to actually make sure that we we discuss about things that we invest into and also has a proper check and balance right. on, on our actions as a fund manager. Yeah. And are you all a single asset or multi-asset right now? Single asset at the moment, it's just asset. equity, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, um, cash is all in money market, yeah. Okay. So of course, uh, that is when for stock uh, discussion, 
but we also have our SL location discussion, meaning we also sat down and then things about more yeah. of a top-down approach, like see what is right. going on in the macro level of things. Yes. And then we decide whether uh, should we be more defensive, should we be neutral, or should we be more aggressive and deploying cash? Right. Uh, so there's another discussion on that. Mm. And how does the top-down approach look like? Um, what, what are the things you'll look at, right? Are they mm. the I think it's a lot simpler when it comes to top-down. Basically, you just watch on uh, any, uh, I mean, of course, the activities in the developed markets right now, which is very active in, which is the US side. And then also, there are also other global movements in the uh, uh, Europe or even some of the part of the Asia market, which involves like, say, Japan or even China, right? Yep. So uh, we actually highlight whatever we hear, we read, and during the discussion and then when i let's 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 just uh give you an example yes. if let's say i i think that uh us is uh, raising interest rate too fast but uh maybe i came up with a point and say oh but the thing is i think the stock market has actually priced that in already so what else what's what's next you know then uh another fund manager will actually come uh, and tell and say that oh but you shouldn't neglect the property rules in china you know that is also another macro risk you know uh, not just USI, but yep. uh, that is uh, more of affecting our Malaysia because they are one of the trading partners. I was like, yeah, I agree totally. Then uh, uh, that actually pulled back some of the, the the positive stance I have just based on US, you know. Then uh, of course, another farm agents, they come in and say, okay, you shouldn't be neglecting too much of the, what is going on in the local market where the, there's potential general election coming in. Uh, the timing itself can also uh, uh, determine our, our entry point. So, uh, let's come to a consensus agreement whether we should be uh, only be more positive later on instead of now you know i mean if you i mean on, on one point yes we should be positive you know uh because things may seem to be have priced in everything right just based on us but if you look into any other part of the world that may be some other risk that actually uh uh would impact some of our investments so which i think uh that it's really a healthy discussion healthy debate so that it comes to a more of a, a healthy decision in terms of uh um, making an ex execution yeah okay okay yeah seems i mean it sounds uh really really comprehensive mm. um but first this happens very fast right? Yeah, it's not yeah. like oh, I have to sit down for an hour just to talk about things you know yeah yeah, yeah because, I mean, because, because you know each other already yeah right? you know each yeah. other and then you can be uh it's more snappy, right? Okay. So uh, I will go a little bit into your, your, go back into your history, which is actually the specific investments you made, mm. uh, either for, uh, you know, the banks or whatever, or even your, but I, I think personally as an analyst, you can't invest, right? I'm not allowed I to, it was very yeah. difficult, right? But I made wrong calls before and made right, right calls before. Of course. Yeah. So yeah. I play this game, you know, let's, it's called top three, right? <laughs> so like, what are the top three companies, right? That you've, mm. uh, like we say, are your winners, and we'll talk about your losers later on. <laughs> okay, winners. Uh, I mean, if, if it's if it's winner, I wouldn't exclude uh, glove sector at one point. Yes, right? because uh, that was really making a lot of money for everyone. You know, uh, whoever invests into glove sector for the time for that time it for, the, for that duration for that duration. Yes, correct. So uh, I wouldn't say I'm the early mover when we, when, when we take a position in the uh, glove sector, but I was a glove analyst. And at, uh, single, at, at one point, uh, 
things are, are just too, too, I mean, moving too fast, but at the same time, it really uh, uh, drives, I mean, has driven all the glove companies profitability, which no one else uh, expected that to happen. And of course, if you put into your financial model uh, by just assuming certain things, you actually see that the earnings really, you know, so that, that, time, that time it actually surprises everyone, including myself. It's like, I don't really believe the number that I work out. It's like, oh, you, for a glove company, it hasn't happened before that you will actually have this sort of earnings profile uh, that you can project. So so that was a point. And of course, I also discussed with uh, my ex-boss and then we all decided to just, why not just jump the gun and, 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 and invest into the glove sector, right? Uh, uh, given that things are just moving too fast, you know, just by raising prices, you know, and and the demand just come in so quickly and so aggressive that no one can think about that kind. So during that year, we made quite a bit on love. Yeah. Uh, but of course, I am always wanting the team to actually take a step back and think about it. Like, is it moving too fast? You know, uh, always be conservative and also be prudent in terms of your, uh, your, your assumptions that you make. Uh, am, are we too positive? Are we neglecting or, or miss out any points? So that so so uh, after like uh, four to six months investment, then we actually took a step back, and then I I actually voiced out some concerns. You know, it could be that uh, valuation has 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 trading too high. You know, and uh, uh, because of what? Because everyone is just too aggressive in buying. Yeah. You know. Then uh, would the valuation come back down when vaccine became available, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. or or supply came in, you know, later yeah. later part of the story. So that is when I I I begin to to ask for a take profit, uh, to recommend take profit. So why I say it's a winner because we actually manage the exit quite uh, good in terms of calling it a sell. Then. Uh, uh, then really holding it until uh, yep. uh, a period of time later. Lah. So that is one of the winner that I can consider for myself. Then the other one is uh, the um, the technology sector in uh, Taiwan. Yeah, so uh, we made good money or profit from, uh, 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 I mean, I wouldn't say just TSMC, but overall tech sector lah, in, in back in 2020 and 2021 because... Uh, that was when um, not many other sectors that can gives you that kind of earnings growth, uh, 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 because all all other sectors are basically being impacted by COVID, right? So um, um, during that two years, technology sector is the only one that has uh, been consistently giving quite good uh, earnings growth. In fact, uh, it's structural because it's driven by either uh, all the uh, team like uh, AI, five G, you know, EV, uh, even some. To certain extent, mobile mobile side, which is uh, everyone going into work from home culture, yeah. everyone just drive higher demand for wearables, for for PC, for for um, devices, right? So um, I wouldn't say this is a significant winner, but I would say uh, I did not lose out in terms of uh, having an exposure in the yeah. uh, technology sector, la. Yeah. So um, other than that, well, one of another example would be healthcare hospital because uh, ah. it's in line with the uh, pandemic environment. So basically just having a thought that um, hospital- uh, Malaysian hospitals? Malaysian hospital. Really? Yeah. Malaysian hospital. There's only three uh, or four, I must right? say IHH. Uh. 
Age, age, okay. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't like a great uh, uh, not not a store that gives you like a, a glove kind of yeah. return, but at least it has been on a positive trend because right. of the COVID uh, treatments. Uh. And, and I mean, leading to the, the the returns and all that, I I remember uh, Han giving an answer to this also. But do you all have a target return in mind, like you you that you guys would consider? Uh, good what is good return because a lot of, you ask different people they have very different answers yeah, yeah i think it's subjective based on uh, your risk profile of the company yep. as well um but first uh generally speaking the mandate that we have right now with the other rate of seven percent wow. right so uh yes. that is the targeted return for a year right so but for to consider a stock at least uh, if it's a buy then we consider 15 to 20 percent you know upside potential that is to us is good but of course, we just don't look at the upside, but we get, we we also look at the downside. But if I say there's a fifteen to twenty percent upside, but actually the the stock has risen for like yeah. one hundred to two hundred percent already. So do I consider that as a risk and reward attractive investment? I would say no, because the downside could be a lot more because you know for for yeah. all sort of reasons. That's true. That's right? true. So um um generally speaking. If it's just looking at upside, then fifteen to twenty percent. But because that is something that leads to achieving the hurdle rate, yeah. Mm -hmm. But of course, uh, uh, we also be prudent and then uh, managing our risk a little bit here and there. So uh, we also consider downside, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So speaking of downsides, right, the three worst investments you made in your life, for yourself or for other people, for other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. um, okay, one of the idea comes from I came from Korea market where uh, maybe because I was new and then I, I, I neglected certain certain points. Basically, I invested, uh, I actually made recommendation on one of the uh, company in Korea that, that produce specific product, which is related to supplement market. And the company is only relying on that product. And the product was the best seller ever for, for, the, for, for, for one and a half years, you know. And uh, um, why I say it's a bad investment because uh, there was... That you know, you remember just now when I said Korea market has a lot of news. Retail, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there was a a news article that came out and said there's faulty and there's risks on the product. Yeah, so basically, it, it just took away ninety percent of the 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 market cap. In, Not, in, wait, in what? Ninety percent. Yeah. Wow. So every day just limit down. Yeah, for three days. That's exactly uh, the the, the collapse crazy. of the company. Yeah, just because they have risk issue on product. And the product is related to uh, um, um, I would I want to say FDA okay the Korean FDA side making an uh, a statement that say they will restrict selling of this product. So basically, the, the company's life is just gone. You know, just relying on the single product, right? So that actually taught, taught that taught me a, a real good lesson is that maybe companies with specific product. You know, I I would not really consider that much. Uh, uh, because of the concentration, right? Yeah. So concentration risk to me after that 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 incident is to me actually quite a good uh, uh, warning or quite a good sign uh, when it comes to uh, own investments. Uh. Yeah. So like not just product, but if you have a single customer or you have a uh, single market, uh, that depends on 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 number of customers or suppliers that you have for the company. But I wouldn't I wouldn't choose. I wouldn't be uh, putting my eggs into just company with specific product, although it's just best-selling product. But 
the 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 risk you know towards the product is high lah. I mean, of course, when it comes, I mean, when 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 things are have grown big, that's when you attract a lot of uh, unnecessary noises. I would say or, or attention to what sort of product, yeah. what sort of customer, or what you know, just people may be jealous about the growth of the company and they want to just hit you. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, that's one of the lessons that I learned uh, uh, from that. Like, uh, are you able to share the name of the, <laughs> the company? Well, it, it happened way I mean, many years ago. I don't mind lah. It's actually called uh, uh, Natural Endo. Natural Endo. Yeah. In, okay. In Victoria. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next. Um. Okay lah. I wouldn't consider else it's worse, but. They just meet. They they just didn't meet the investment theses that okay. uh, that I recommended. So basically, the company just go the other way around than I. So this is basically bad recommendation. Uh, one of the example is um, uh, one of the consumer uh, consumer idea in uh, Hong Kong, China. Um, it's an e-commerce lah. It's an e-commerce idea. So uh, back in future days, I actually look into um, Baba. Alibaba. Okay. Yeah. So, but then, uh, but there was a a short period of time when Baba uh, uh, get. Uh, I mean, I would say Baba, but it's more like the, there are news saying that Baba is actually selling for uh, uh, what do you call that? Not faulty goods, but uh, fake goods. Yeah, so it's a customer who is posting all the fake products on on the website. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, yeah so uh, I mean, of course, that is also affecting the share, the the sentiment of the shares, and then, and then, uh, but we 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 made quick actions and exited Baba a little bit or trimmed down the position a little bit. Yeah, when it comes to that kind of news, lah. So I mean, of course, Baba has its potential later on when you can actually see Baba has grown so much. Yep. During that time, the the it, it it was because of an event, because of certain uh, uh, reason for that few months thing that it actually didn't make me a good re- uh, recommendation uh, for Baba. So that's just like that. And uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, there's there, there's one of the example like I wouldn't say worse, but just bad recommendation. Yeah, we yeah. don't really lose money per se, but I think losing money is more on uh macro driven reasons lah. like uh because we are all stock pickers we are not like really good in reading a lot of yeah. macro uh data and stuff i mean that that of course we rely a lot of economies and uh and the brokers recommendation but generally speaking what actually uh uh leads us to not making so much return is basically more on macro side lah. i think generally the theme in trade capital is that uh, every one of us are good in our fundamental analysis. Yeah, just uh, I think uh, to answer your question, not so much on stock per se when it comes to is the factors that is the external the exogenous factors like right, the fancy the fancy word right? correct correct right 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 yeah right so okay last last uh, last bad investment. So you mentioned uh, natural endo and then this uh, Alibaba and then. Um, okay, let me think. Ah, uh, not many. Uh. <laughs> no lah, just uh, maybe just just uh, another one in China, which is the telco sector. Uh well, I actually had a, a, a overweight on telco sector in Hong Kong 
but it's just that SOE being SOE, the the company's uh, direction is driven by the government's policy. It's a Chinese company listed in Hong Kong. La. China Mobile. China Mobile. Oh, yeah. yes. It, it, yeah. it was... Uh, I was looking at it before and a lot of people got drawn to it because of like the dividends and the valuation. The right? expectation of a special dividend is because of the high mm, cash holding that they yeah, have. No, and no, they'll no. be expecting that the dividend angle to come through, but it hasn't. And then another thing is that because uh, there's also uh, not scrutiny, but more on... Uh, uh, higher attention from the government on how you fix your mobile charges. You know, and you try to just ask you to, to impose like basically to ask you to lower down on the mobile data charges. So it actually affects the telco sector and not so much on my thesis doesn't work out. It's just that my thesis is based on things that I can see like, like higher cash flow, higher cash, meaning I will expect you to pay more higher dividend. In fact, the company is also giving some guidance. It's like, oh yeah, we'll consider that, you know, things, but it doesn't come true means it doesn't come true, right? So. So, and, and of course, uh, geopolitical side of things, uh, actually, China Mobile is about 10% to 12% of the China index, right? So, whatever hits China, it will hit China Mobile also. Yeah. But yeah. So, bad uh, recommendation. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I want to talk about your views about macro later on. I know it's not something, I, I guess something in that, in development yeah. for you guys, right? Yeah. To, to develop that, because I think, uh, yeah, anyway, a little bit more on that later on. But uh, just before that, I want, to get your thoughts on uh, diversification. Mm. So what is the policy? Because we've spoken to Han before, right? Mm. And he is a 20 stock guy, right? Mm. He likes 20, 25 securities. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, 15 to 20, something like that. Mm. Securities in his portfolio. Mm. And he has this concept of uh, like, he wants, he likes balanced portfolios, right? Yep. He likes to have some in palm oil, some in uh, this different, different sector. Mm. And he's comfortable with that. What is uh, yours and also by extension trade views policy on like diversification and even position sizing, which is somewhat linked, right? Mm, there's no policy. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call it policy, but it's more like uh, we are mindful of the whole uh, rating on, mm. on, on yeah, exposure, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, I wouldn't impose the policy just to restrict, you know, uh, the fund managers for implementing their stock ideas. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So if you are positive on say uh, consumer sector, you know, but if the policy is in place, like, uh, it cannot be more than twenty percent in the consumer sector. It's 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 not reasonable to me. So it's like if we are positive on certain sector, then I will limit on the number the exposure in certain stock. Right? I see. So uh, stock exposure, yes, I will say. Uh, maximum 10%, unless we need to go higher than that and we have to specific another uh, discussion. I mean, right. we have to set another discussion and to, this, to, to, to lay out why, you know. Why and and how about, let's say, if the exposure was initially less than 10%, but it did well, mm. and then it crosses that. So we got to be uh, disciplined ourselves, mm. to ask ourselves if it has reached uh, the the valuation or right. level that right. we are comfortable. In fact, if let's say there's still more room to grow, I don't mind keeping it higher than 10%. Yeah, so there's a reason that comes in why we hold that stock higher than 10%. Of course, uh, the 10% came because of the appreciation of market value. But after that, do you do we consider taking profit? Because have we uh, are we still expecting more from the company? Yeah, so if we can answer all these questions, then uh, we can raise the rating exposure on the stock. But if it's not, then I think we got to be disciplined and say, why don't we start reducing to below? 
because the exposure is a is a, the, the, is a risk management uh, yeah. uh, strategy la, to make sure that we don't get to carried out. I mean, carried away by by just good returns. Yeah. Yeah. So that's on stock, right? But of course, uh, on sector, we also have a uh, twenty five to I think twenty five percent. Yeah. Of a sector sector exposure, Limit, but no. just on our in our mind, but it's not so much on policy or return any anywhere. Yep, yep. It's just basically uh, if the exposure on the sector is too high, then does it match or does it uh, uh, go al- align with uh, what is going on in the market? Right. right? right. So right. let's if let's say uh, for example, if let's say we are now positive, uh, starting to get more positive on oil and gas, then we straight away invest into oil and gas market. And yeah, be it positive on 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 oil and gas, but I can't be deploying full portfolio in oil and gas, right? So I will make sure that uh, at least twenty percent, not at least, sorry, as in maximum twenty percent is is in that sector, unless we really have some good names and uh, like say proxy to the sector, and then we don't mind holding it higher than twenty percent. Then we state why are we comfortable with the, then we will come back to our, the 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 normal risk and reward analysis again. Right. Yeah. Right. So is uh, I mean in terms of percentage wise, you can say like uh, within ten percent for stock, and then 20 twenty to twenty five percent for sector, and then we have we have actually we haven't actually gone into uh foreign countries yet. So what if there's foreign market then? Uh, but of course that is if foreign markets comes in, that's when uh we talk we are talking about yep. asset allo- allocation already. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I do want to talk about macro right after this. However, I forgot to ask you this question. You mentioned earlier on about advantages being in Malaysia, being able to talk to management, yeah. but also, you know, focusing on like the quantitative side of analysis, right? Yeah. Um, I find this debate to be very interesting among investors. Mm. Uh, I see people on both sides. There are some people who say, uh, nah, if you don't meet management, uh, you have no age, right? Because mm. that's where all the juicy details is. But then here's the cool part. Uh, we do know many people. I do know many people as well who mm. have done well, who deliberately avoid meeting management, right? So they, mm. you know, these are the um, Casey Chong. I'm not sure if you know him. Mm. He's uh, Casey Chong, right? He picked up, you know, FPI, Frontend, all this without, you know, just pure desktop research. Mm. And mm. of course, Han as well, yeah, back in the day, you know, mm. uh, before the trade view days, he mm. was investing into QL, he was investing in other stocks, Hatalega, without actually uh, meeting them, right? Yep. I mean, he, he read a yep. few articles about it and that's about it. So this is a this is more of a niche, but important discussion among asset allocators, uh, mm. especially in the stock investing world. Mm. Where do you sit in this, in this discussion of uh, like, how important is it actually meeting management and getting quote unquote, either in insider information or borderline insider information and getting a good rapport? Mm, mm. I mean, of course, firstly, we are I mean, definitely not privy so much on what of inside course. information. It's more on public meeting with the management. Right? Yes. But I can uh, put your question into two parts. Okay. Firstly, uh, for investors who are not looking in, I mean, uh, looking into meeting management, but make an investment, typically, uh, they are looking into stocks with good fundamental readings. Yeah. So I mean, for all the 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 ratio or, or, yeah. or financial standing that it's already you have looking to do good. good first. Uh. Yeah. 
So, I mean, of course, you have to do it all first and then you look through all the annual reports and stuff and then come up with your own analysis and think that the company is on the uh, uh, is, is healthy and then at the same time, their product is not something everyone doesn't know, right? And mode, some sort of mode. Yeah. And then uh, um, you believe that they can carry out their business right. consistently in the in the far future yeah. based on historical trend analysis or historical uh, 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 deliveries, you know, of the companies that make you comfortable investing without even seeing them, right? Because of all the numbers have been already surfaced and you just have to hold it long term. So this is the thing that the key point that differentiate the, this answer long term versus the ones who are keen to meet management. Okay. Uh, okay, without meeting management, then you have to carry a belief. You believe in the company and then you hold the investment longer term. Right. But for people who beat management, like for example, myself, because, okay, firstly, I've been operating in the fund management industry and that is one of the process that we got to, yeah, got yeah. to meet. Right. To do but it. why are we meeting management in the first place? But not just because oh, they share something else that we, no one else do. Right. But it's just that they, they, when you meet them, at least you can sense a different uh, gesture from, from, from the management, either they are, they are, their way of delivering a message or uh, uh, you can actually just ask direct questions that you have been wondering by just looking into, uh, by, by just doing desktop research, if you get what I mean. So when you meet the management, then you get a, sh a sense of what is going to happen in the shorter run of things, mm. in the shorter term, right? Then actually gives you higher certainty in terms of how people will perceive the stock in the next ah. one, two quarters, right? Instead of, I just believe in you and then go into it. So it's actually more of uh, time uh, frame, the uh. time frame that you are looking into a stock, right? So for fund managers, especially institutional funds, uh, returns is something also important to be delivered to the beloved clients, right? Everyone is just looking at, oh yeah, within one year, how much return you can generate and stuff. By generating the kind of returns, of course, you need, I mean, you need a uh, 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 higher conviction on the company. When the conviction actually comes from how well you know the business and the and how well you know the business, actually, one of the process is to know the management also, right? So, and of course, uh, it actually gives you a more of a shorter term, of, uh, the sense of a shorter term movements of the share price in order for you to generate the alpha. But of course, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there's, it's impossible to just invest in a company by just looking into company uh, numbers, which you have uh, uh, stated it out perfectly. But you're saying it's impossible. It's no. not impossible not okay, to okay. just look at companies yeah. with good fundamentals and then we hold. Because ultimately, uh, yeah. a good company with good met, uh, financial metrics and also have it's been delivering, right, yeah. So you will actually be growing uh, on a on a you know say uh, compounded annual growth rate. You know, the, the, I mean, it depends on how how high is the growth rate yeah. that you are looking for, But at least they will deliver consistent growth, uh, as long as they carry out their business, uh, consistently and also in, with good strategies, la. Yeah, mm -hmm. and of course their products is as uh, you say got a mode, la. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So it's the time frame, la, To me, it's not, it's not so much on. Yeah it's impossible. It's not so much on uh, why are we looking at things differently and it's not because of looking at it differently and give us different return profile, but it's just more on. I mean, for companies, if we are, we know the management and then we know 
all the pointers from 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 them and we are positive on for the next two quarters what if after that two quarters then they suddenly change their tone then it actually came back down so mm. in in one year basis maybe it just made the five percent right by not by holding it versus maybe the 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 first six months you traded out after you have 20 percent return then you trade it out so it actually gives you a more shorter term how far but of course you hold it longer term it's fine also yeah but you only get lesser return profile but at least you are you are you have a different belief on the company and you are more comfortable or just putting your money without looking at it lah. so the the time frame the attention on the company that determines on how how you want to approach the analysis yeah. so yeah because i i i like for for me personally, I I'm I'm always uh, on this is I'm fifty fifty because that has been my experience. Mm. I I speak to management. Yep. Uh, some like it's amazing. If only I just listen to management more. Yeah. But some, you know, a lot of them they just tell you what they want you to hear. Uh, yeah. You know, there there could be one of. And I, there's there's no negative CEO. <laughs> I've never seen a I've never seen a company CEO. You know, saying yeah, my company is. That's why there's this uh, thing that I mentioned just now, which is when you interview, when you you have a physical meeting, you can actually sense that from the gesture when delivering yeah. a message. Yeah, maybe they sound positive, but they actually don't feel positive. You know, you right, get what I mean? Yeah. Right. So, uh, uh, that is one of the points. Uh, I mean, of course, by meeting yeah. management. Uh, yeah. Without meeting, then of course you you don't have all these uh doubts or confusions, but you just come back to the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, right. so uh, we are approaching the end of the podcast. Just really three three more segments. I know it sounds like a lot, but really, <laughs> I, think, I think. And the first one is, I mean, we talked a lot about the past, but I know you're not at liberties to share the positions that you have, but would really love to know what your view is currently on the macro economy. And that also ties into how mm. aggressive you guys are, uh, you know, in the fund, right? And then the last time I met you guys, I still remember, cause you had just raised some funds. And then yeah. um, I think a couple of months ago, I met you guys and you all said, well, you only have deployed like 10% of the capital or something like that. Yeah, correct. right. So what, what, how do you all see the big picture right now as far as the economy, you know, mm. all these things? Mm. I think to sum up, uh, to sum up about the market right now right is actually still pretty much a volatile trading market right so uh when it when you talk about uh cash holding yes we, we just started in in april in fact we only did starting to deploy in may yeah right so but we we, we were uh we were taking it very slow uh, and uh, we also invest gradually into some stocks that we actually like but of course more on, more into the small and micro cap companies lah. So they are not they are less affected by the global the micro, yeah. yeah side of things. Um, um, okay, come back then. Uh, what are we now? We are actually still having quite high cash. In fact, I would say now it's quite balanced at around fifty. I see. Right. So, but how has it been growing? Well, but why why has it been growing from? just 10% three months ago to now 50% because we have been deploying into more and more stocks uh, uh, after seeing management or after analyzing or come up with, I mean, of course, also following our our strategy on having diversified uh, exposure into different sectors. Uh. So each sector has one or two stocks and at right. least we have like, I mean, number of stocks wise now can be uh, skewed towards uh, uh, high because in this uh, market environment, I think it's fair to actually have more stocks to just balance the risk out, 
right? Because uh, market has been choppy, so uh, there will be winners and losers uh, within the yeah. portfolio. La. So, so what, what does high mean for you guys? What's high to you guys? High yeah. volume. No, no, no. High uh, number of stocks. Yeah. Oh, to us is uh, to me is looking at around twenty. That's high. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we are getting there also twenty. Yeah, about. But it's only on the fifty percent. So, but uh, it's it's actually it actually gives us a very uh, comfortable uh, uh, period of time during this uh, volatile market because uh, year to date, I mean, since since the beginning of when we start investing until now, total return has actually inched up to about three over percent. Return. I see. Yeah. So this is, this is great, really, because KFCI is what down six percent this year. Something. Yeah, like. yeah. For at the moment. So uh, I think one of the uh, positive point is that uh, our time of entry is uh, it's on our favor, yep. right? Just April, May, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we are actually taking it very slow because we are investing into not so high beta stocks, right? So that actually gives us a slow and steady kind of uh, return profile at the moment, right? But of course, uh, 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 for now, I mean, sorry, I mean, you say high beta. These are stocks that are not. Uh, uh, sorry, when you say not so high beta, these are stocks that are not too volatile, volatile. not really in mm. the news kind of stocks. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but for now, from now until then, what is next for the coming few months? I would say we are still pretty much on the defensive side, uh, but getting more and more positive. Why? Okay. Firstly, uh, on the perspective of valuation, Malaysian market actually has come back to a more reasonable level. But I mean, of course, uh, I don't jump into sectors, uh, uh, respective sectors. But generally speaking, like KLCI, for example, has actually dropped to fairly reasonable valuation. In fact, very quite it's cheap. 16, right? Something like that. Forward, we are looking, I mean, blended. I mean, for the next 12 months, the PE has actually reached about 13 wow. plus. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually below the average of 15. Yeah, if you're just looking forward. But right now, uh, on a trailing basis, it is about 15. Yeah. Yep, yep. But of course, the earnings growth or earnings pro uh, profile for next year is looking at around double digit growth because of a lower base. Yeah. yeah so that actually and goes GDP, down. As you can see, the numbers. Correct. And the corporate earnings usually will, will uh, lag GDP, right? Yeah. But of course, it's one of the risks in the market, which is the earnings profile. Um, and of course, at the moment, the expectation has pulled down a little bit ever since a uh, great second quarter result. I mean, I, I would say great because there are more uh, companies that beat expectation than 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 normal. Uh, but of course, everyone has uh, uh, has started to highlight the risks on third quarter, whether they be uh, impacted by recession, impacted by uh, higher interest rate, you know, the consumption is lower. That actually affects earnings of yeah. corporates. Uh. So that's why with that kind of risk, especially uh, inflation risk, uh, that would push for faster rate high. And uh, that is one of the key risks in the local market. And that's why you guys that are taking it slow. Yeah. That's the reason. Yeah. So um, um, we are trading in and out here and there. So that's why uh, current investor invested level sh could be staying for 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 the next one two months at least yeah so we'll just be taking taking profit from some of the winners but switching it to some others with some potentials yeah 
we will constantly evaluate the the names within the portfolio. But on the overall stance, it's defensive to turning. Okay, a lot of people actually use cautiously optimistic, right? You are optimistic at one point because of valuation, because uh, things are, I mean, of course, foreign shareholding in Malaysia has actually gone to as low as 20%. I mean, recently it's just been 20.2, 20.3, but yeah, generally speaking, it's 20%, which is not high anymore yep, compared yep. to like five years ago was 26, 27%. So the foreign shareholders are, are, are waiting for a good timing to actually came back in. And political because, uncertainty as well. Correct. That is the the another risk locally that that uh that stops them from coming in per se. So general election timing is very important, mm. right? That actually uh, also trigger I mean of course a stable government uh after general election will yep. be the point for foreign uh, shareholders to come yes. in, right? And then uh uh not only that, our ringgit has actually fallen to now cross for historic lows. Yeah. So attractive currency, yes, I would say. I mean it's just if let's say uh recovery mode is on the way, uh yeah, uh GDP growth is still healthy. I mean foreign shareholders comes yeah. in, they can enjoy another not just from the stock, but also currency upside. And mm. to give a sense if my math is right, if it goes from twenty to let's say twenty five percent, right? Uh, the 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 five years ago it was about twenty six percent. Correct, ah. foreign shareholding. Mm. So let's say it goes to 25%. Mm. 5% of the market cap in Malaysia, you're looking at an additional 50 mm. billion? Billion, yeah. 50 billion, right? Yeah. 50, 60 billion yeah. in capital. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, it, well, I mean, of course, for, for one year, I mean, that, it won't come in one yeah, year course, for one year, right? So gradually, right. Yeah, gradually. Yeah, Right, but that is a significant amount for to to actually support at least support the market. It wouldn't be. I mean, of yeah. course, that actually gives you a sense like okay, downside could be really limited, right? And now TLCI is around one thousand four hundred and fifty. You know, yeah. As of today, um, um, actually, the the further downside would be just the the COVID downside, which is thousand two level, right? Would it would it trigger that that kind of weakness? Uh, mm. in my view, not anymore. Yeah. Right. Because that's that there's no incentive for people to panic sell right. on GLCI. There's no like not just because of generation, it's already on in on on the table. It just went, right? Right. Uh and then uh valuation is already cheap. And then earnings growth, although there will be some risk and for for down downward revision, but uh generally speaking, uh it is still one of the beneficiary of uh weaker ringgit because of uh, export driven manufacturing. Mm. And then uh the, the but but what offset the the positive would be the consumption locally like because of inflation like everything's yeah. are going up and stuff but net net it would just be neutral for the for for growth on yeah. GDP side so um maybe is there some adjustment on valuation comes with uh some upside potential in terms of earnings uh, surprises then yeah. that is good to for people to 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 relook into Malaysia so if I summarize of course you know in investing like, I think far too many people want to just be in one bucket. I'm bullish or I'm bearish. Mm, mm. But the thing is, things are very balanced and you want sometimes, right? Yeah. And if I summarize your viewpoint is bullish because one, foreign shareholding is all-time low. Mm. Two, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, the ringgit is is uh, very cheap. Mm. And three, the valuation for the KLCI is at uh, historic or at least 
below the historic below average. average uh, below the average. Forward, the forward earnings, right? Forward earnings, yeah. But the risk is that inflation doesn't taper off and mm. interest rates needs to go up. Yeah. Which yeah. means which, obviously uh, equity markets will tank. Um, equity, I mean, okay. Uh, interest rate hike has already been also what people is expecting. It's just yes, how high, correct, right? Correct. And for for Bank Negra to actually raise interest rate one of the reasons is that to close the gap, the yield gap between US and ourselves, because to protect and support our ringgit. Otherwise, our ringgit will continue to fall, right? And by raising interest rate, that doesn't really help spending on uh, from corporates because of higher debt. So right. that's why uh, uh, when we read this sort of macro data, then we will be more selective in companies that we invest. Like say, we don't invest into companies with high debt, you know. And uh, we also and uncertain growth, right? Yeah, high growth typically. Correct. And uh, and also we don't really look into companies that focus into domestic market so much. Maybe more towards the export uh, market. Like that's why you can't run away from technology. But it's just that when are we deploying more into the technology sector? Because technology sector is a bit of a mixture at the moment. Uh, one one at one point. Uh, affecting by by global market noises. Yeah. But on the other hand, it is also slow down uh, of demand supply. I mean, the, of course, the changes in the supply demand uh, economics because of recession, right? But we are benefited because of weaker ringgit. So net net is just kind of offset, right? But locally speaking, uh, technology sector valuation hasn't really reached to a very attractive manner. It, it has fallen, yeah. but it has fallen to just maybe five years average valuation kind of thing. So I would just wait for a while longer. Yeah, that sort of things. So, uh, uh, but I mean, to I mean, after uh, saying all this, technically we are also in the direction of deploying more and more cash into the market because. I think the positive more outweigh than the negatives. It's just the only near-term hiccup is the general election timing of it. Right, and and it sounds like I'm not sure if you can say this, but it sounds mm -hmm. like you would prefer a government very similar to the pre-2018 times where things are more. Extended. Well, it's a general saying that. Uh, uh, pre twenty eighteen government, it's a uh, more business friendly yep. government. So yeah, uh, I think that it's also not just myself, but quite a number of uh, uh, people on the ground expecting that to happen as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. interesting, interesting. <laughs> okay, just to just to top up all this, um, I know that there there are a lot of new things happening right with with TradeView. You have done completed your first round of, of uh, raising funds yep. for like this the current one, but you are starting something uh, new as well, right? You yeah, share yeah. A bit uh, about that? Uh, of course. Uh, previously, we have been focusing mainly private mandates, discretionary portfolio for high net worth individuals, be it, uh, or, or corporates, and that is more of a uh, that I mean, it's more like one to one bespoke service to 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 our investors. But right now we're actually looking into another channel. I mean, basically we have a fund, a wholesale fund uh, that is catering for a more mass market. I think uh, what differentiate between this uh, prior mandate versus wholesale fund is that uh, the entry level for uh, prior uh, for wholesale fund is uh, a lot lower. Uh, 
because uh, we, we, we are actually talking about uh, uh, entry level of 1 million and above for private money yep, yep, versus yep. uh, uh 50,000 for wholesale fund right so and the structure of wholesale fund pretty much like unit trust but wholesale fund why is it called wholesale fund because uh, it's only catering to sophisticated investors which meet certain criteria like say high net worth uh, uh uh you know investor profile like you know, one of the criteria could be uh, if you have gross income of three thousand, three hundred thousand and above, or net net assets of three million, excluding primary your primary residence, right? So, uh, yeah, you need need to meet certain criteria in order to participate into wholesale fund. But we have one. Uh, it's called the sustainability fund, mm. which also have uh, the uh, additional con- uh, consideration on our investment, which is related to the current team uh, ESG. So, uh, of course, uh, the fund it's uh, eligible uh, to uh, mean to SC. One of you is that it's approved by SC as a sustainable and uh, um, sustainability and also responsible investment, as how they call it in short. So, uh, it is one of the requirement for us to submit to SC for for us to when we when we invest into ESG related uh, uh, stocks lah. So this wholesale fund mainly has that additional consideration when you come, uh, for, for stock investment, but nonetheless, uh, the mandate can be also quite general and uh, flexible. We can consider anything within uh, the universe uh, because we also have our own uh, proprietary uh, analytics uh, or metrics on mm. ESG that we can consider any stocks uh, uh, that is not uh, covered by by let's say bigger providers like FTSE, Dow Jones when it comes to ESG investments. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because because like for example, FTSE has the FTSE uh, for Good man, uh, Index, and inside the index there are about two hundred over stocks, and those are the stocks that has been have been evaluated by FTSE that they are considered as ESG. But right. what if those names that are not in that index? Right? But I mean, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, so there's like. 20 to 25 different standards of ESG right now, right? There's nothing. Uh, it's very broad at the moment. Yeah. Definition is not really clear, but it's actually up to uh, uh, each fund houses to actually uh, uh, have their own metrics on their evaluation. Right. Maybe it, uh, even ourselves, we have our own uh, ESG metrics. Yeah, but we we I mean, of course we have to go. We are, we are going through the process which uh, SE is comfortable with. That includes also negative screening of stocks, and then uh, the next stage would be positive screening on certain stocks. You know, negative right. screening meaning any sectors that we actually put in, we will not invest. Positive, positive, uh, positive screening is when we have additional points, you know, uh, being assigned to certain stocks, and whether does that meet uh, you know, our internal uh, uh, guideline in terms of. Uh, uh, ESG scoring. So if it, the scoring doesn't, let's say, out of ten, if it if it, if the score that doesn't go above five, then we would not invest. Interesting. So, yeah. So uh, uh, and then ESG basically we our matrix has five elements for each uh each uh, pillar uh-huh. like environmental we have five, uh, social we have five and governance we have five. So basically we call, we we. We are quite balanced in that sense to consider all aspects. Yeah, so like governance, we will actually make sure 
there will be diversity in the board composition. That's one of example. Like social, whether do they have any forced labor issue, uh, or and then environment, whether uh, I mean the main thing would be carbon emission uh, standard. You know whether they fulfill or would they would they have planned to fulfill. So we actually take into account companies that working on implementing ESG plans also. It's not like we exclude straight away until when you have something to review, right? So if you have planned, then we will evaluate more and more uh, on a periodical manner. Like every every semi-annual, we will come and re- uh, revisit again whether whether have you fulfilled. And if you are in progress or fulfilling, then yes, it's also part of our investor. I mean, our investable stocks. Yeah. And do you think that? it's going to help with the returns because I think, you know, Mm. people disagree would say, well, you know, it's all nice and all that, but some of these rules are subjective and they can actually hurt your returns because now you exclude a lot of potential, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's what I, uh, the the point that I want to stress on is that I, uh, we we actually take into consideration stocks that no, I mean, other people are not considering, meaning it's not being evaluated doesn't mean they are not investable. But it's just that as long as they can go through our proprietary uh, 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 analysis or analytics, then then they can be part of our investment portfolio. But to answer your question, whether does it affect the return profile? Um, I think this is more of a longer term uh, uh, consideration. Yep. Because uh, I mean, our funds generally also uh, looking at a more longer term horizon. Uh, our philosophy is actually more on com- uh, company with high quality, and then and then uh, uh, we grow together with the company to actually be bigger. That's why I say our focus is actually small to micro cap company because at one point they will be growing, right? So uh, another point is that um, it's more of a longer term consideration when it comes to ESG because. Firstly, yes, the cost has to be spent on implementing all these uh, measures. So it's actually a cost to the company. But but they may actually face uh, uh, greater premium in terms of valuation being given to stocks like this because when ESG is in place, that's when a lot more attention from from investors, be it domestic or even some sometimes if let's say a stock that has that is in foreign shareholding, I mean, foreign shareholders purview, I mean, uh, uh, radar, then they actually uh, would consider this stock because there's an ESG element in it versus the rest which are absent, right? So valuation premium will be given. So technically that offsets some of the costs on the earnings side, possibly. And then another thing is, is for the greater good of the society. So with the ESG, being implemented in the longer run, uh, uh, it will be, it will be more. I mean, it will it will lead to a more cost if uh, effective or cost efficient business model for right. for the for the business, and uh, of course there will be less scrutiny from either be it from the regulator side or from the society side on the business once they are implemented uh, uh, properly la, in terms yeah. of ESG. That's that's what my uh, in my opinion la, right. Of course, that is not so much on the return profile. I think it's just more on the horizon on when you see it through, whether the ESG impact really comes in, you know, that really matters mm. uh, uh, when it comes to execution of the company. La. Right. Mm. Okay. But of course, yeah, uh, uh, 
this fund, if for more details, of course, we have our website and then the information is all there. Uh, but uh, uh, bear in mind is that for wholesale fund, uh, um, I mean, of course, the management fee is about 1.8%. Uh, then there's also a performance fee element in it. Yeah, then, uh, but of course, entry point for, for, for any of the investors that do not one uh, full exposure in the prior mandate side, we can always consider a smaller entry to, to, to wholesale, la, to wholesale fund. Yeah, but going forward, we also be considering uh, a few more funds that is on the way. La. Yeah. All right, looking looking forward to that, definitely. Yeah. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you. We should again uh, speak more. And, yeah, it's really uh, a pleasure. So and uh, sorry we had to cut, uh, you know, we we'll call it to an end. But uh, yeah, all the best with the funds. Uh, mm -hmm. Really looking forward to you guys making waves as a, I would say a pioneer in the ESG fund management space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're a pioneer. In the boutique fund management industry, yeah, yes. I mean that, yeah, just uh, wish you guys all the best. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, um, guys, if you enjoyed the pod as usual, you know, uh, like, comment, subscribe, and uh, you know, follow us on Spotify. And if people want to find you, where, where can they find you? If you want to be found at all. We'll be on our website. You mean, website, uh. yeah, website, correct. Right. Uh, but you personally, maybe you got some fans, you know. <laughs> I want Nixon only. No, no, no. Hunt, <laughs> no, no, I think uh, yeah. everything will be on our website. Yes, Okay, correct. okay. Mm. All right, man. Thank you so much uh, for coming. And guys, you know, we'll see you in the next podcast. See yeah. you. Thanks, MJ.